Welcome to the Florida Specifier Podcast. This is Brett Cyphers here with my co-host, Ryan Matthews. If you like what you hear and want to support the show, please be sure to hit subscribe. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Florida Specifier online at floridaspecifier.com. It's easy to do, and we think you'll enjoy all the ways you can read, watch, listen, and learn right at your fingertips. We can't thank you enough for the support. All right, we're so pleased to have today's guest, Representative Bobby Payne. Ryan, you've had the pleasure of working with Representative Payne since he came into office, right? That's right. Bobby is universally recognized as an expert in general utility matters, electric water, wastewater, champion of the business community, and one of the reasons Florida remains a a great place to live, work, and play. He's been focused on keeping Florida a low-tax state and really done an excellent job during his time of the legislature. So we're excited to have him today and talk through a couple issues. Nice. And I'm going to do a couple of the the level-setting intro kind of stuff real quick, just about the representative himself. Representative Payne's worked over 30 years in the utility space and is currently the chairman of the House Infrastructure Committee. He is a member of Speaker Renner's leadership team and no stranger to environmental issues. He is entering his final session of his term representing House District 20. Chair Payne, welcome to the Florida Specifier podcast. Well, thank you, Brad. Thank you, Ryan. It's good to be here on your podcast. Sounds like a fun opportunity to be here, so I appreciate it. Well, you and I don't know each other well. I know you and Ryan have worked together. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about District 20. Yeah, absolutely. So originally I was District 19 for the past six years. Of course, that changed in 2022. 19 was made up of all of Putnam, part of Clay, all of Bradford, all of Union. Redistricting changed that to still all of Putnam, the same portions of Clay, portions of St. John. So Speaker Ren and I split part of US-1 up to St. Augustine, and now have North Marion all the way down to Ocala. So land mass-wise, uh, geography-wise, it's a big space. And I mentioned the utility work for three decades. Talk about that a little bit. Sure. I, you know, I was fortunate to work for a company as a generation transmission cooperative in Palatka. I worked at the power plant and ran the power plant the latter part of my career. Also worked in our corporate offices, which is in Tampa, for a few years and worked in, in operating a power plant, worked in design, worked with engineering companies on design, build, construct. I actually worked as a project manager for some uh, retrofit upgrades we did on air pollution control. So spent most of my career in that space. Naturally, power plants are large spaces with a lot of employees. We had uh, wastewater treatment facilities, so became familiar with wastewater treatment facilities there. And throughout the course of my career there, I was involved in everything from training to safety to investigating OSHA events. What made you get into politics? Why did you run for the House originally? Well, I mentioned to you earlier, there's a few key players in our local community. We had a representative's We didn't feel like it was doing a lot for us in the early teens. had a friend named Joe Pickens. Joe Pickens was a past legislator there, as well as Kelly Smith. And Kelly and Joe asked me if I would consider running. Joe and I actually had that conversation in 2005 when he was terming out in 2008. But my upward mobility in the organization was enough that I couldn't leave a good-paying job for just a part-time job that was really full-time that only paid $29,000 a year. Right. So I had, I had to stay with the company. So <laughs> rolled the clock forward 10 years, and then I decided I would retire in 2019. So I ran in 20. 16 for election, actually started in 2015 and uh, was elected in 2017, 18 year. I want to talk to you a little bit about some subject matter specific questions, but before we get there, can you talk a little bit about becoming a member of the legislature? You got 120 members of the House, all with different personalities. How do those personalities interact with each other? And then what are you going to take away some of those friendships that I imagine are going to last the rest of your life as well? 
Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I often say to people, did you play team sports growing up? And I played team sports. I played college baseball at LSU, played team sports my entire life. And if, if you can play team sports, you understand a leadership goal. You understand the goal, you know, who's the quarterback and what my position is. And I've always said to a really good friend, Speaker Renner, is look, I'll do whatever you need me to do. If it's block, I'll block. If you want me to carry the ball or throw the ball, I'll do that too. So as you graduate in those positions, same with Speaker Sprouls, of leadership, the thing that I had the opportunity to be able to bring to my team is experience, real life experience. Experience in managing people, experience in managing problems and, and using critical thinking skills to help bring about good change or good policy. So those were those are leadership opportunities and skills that I developed over life, lifelong learning, where you don't see a lot of those with people that are, I'm not saying we don't have young people that are talented, but they don't have that experience and know how to deal with people and deal with issues, as well as someone who has some business experience with them. Well, we're here at the Environmental Permitting Summer School in Marco Island, so it's apropos that we talk about environmental issues. And certainly, during your time in the House, you've shown that you're not afraid to tackle large-scale environmental issues, issues that have garnered a lot of attention. So I wanted to start by asking and talking a little bit about House Bill 1149 from 2017, a little bit ago. But that bill certainly had some controversy to it, became known as a toilet-to-tap bill and ultimately was vetoed by Governor Scott. I think a lot of people listening to this podcast understood that that bill was one of the first steps in attempts to expand the beneficial reuse of water, and the main goal was to bolster the aquifer. Can you talk a little bit about that process that you went through in 2017? Yes, that's been a while ago, but I would say that you asked me a question about becoming a legislator, and so the effect of being a freshman legislator is sometimes you don't know what you're getting into. You're elected. A few weeks later, you're in Tallahassee. You're learning the process. You're learning bills. You're learning hiring a staff. You're learning where your office is, which takes two weeks, and then you're learning where to live. That was a bill that I was approached by some lobbyists and said, would you consider running this bill? And So as we researched the bill, it made sense to me. I'm a water guy. I'm a guy that you'll find either surfing, fishing, in the water. Some people say you should have had gills, but I'd rather be in the water than doing a lot of other things. So to me, water policy was a place that I wanted to be. I think later on the speaker kind of tapped me to handle some of the water issues. That bill in itself just made sense that we would take actual water that needed to be conditioned, put back in an aquifer at a federal drinking standard, and then it could be removed from the aquifer cleaned again and put back into potable reuse. The sound bites of the things that I heard were that you're actually taking sewage and putting it into the aquifer. People just didn't understand. So what happens, as you know, the press gets out in front of a lot of things. They want to sell papers. They're selling sensational media in some cases. I think they named it the pain poopy water bill at one point in time. But they misunderstood. They didn't read the bill. They didn't understand what the effect of the bill was on the positive side. They just wanted to use the negative sound bites, and often even the media had some negative sound bites that just didn't make sense. In the water forum, I started attending water forums at that time. I had a discussion today uh, with a couple of people that I was all about potable reuse, that if there were potable reuse water, drinking water in front of me, I would drink it. And at one of the forums, we had a, a beer manufacturer that took potable reuse water, said, here's a six-pack of this, take it with you, drink it. I said, I'll do better than that. I'm running the forum. I'll put it on the podium on the stage today. I'll have the beer sitting there, some bottled water sitting there, and I'll say, look, it's 4 o'clock. I'd rather have a beer than water, and I'll drink your potable reuse water right there on the stage. So we did. Like so, it. yeah, that's a little bit of it. And, and certainly, right as you know, it's, it's, it's had numerous different names other than the toe at the tap. That's right. That's right. 
This podcast is brought to you by Anfield Consulting, the leading boutique firm specializing in legislative agency and local government affairs with a strong emphasis on environmental advocacy. With a distinguished team spanning law, science, planning, and politics, Anfield Consulting brings decades of experience to the table, making them your trusted partner in navigating the complexities of government regulation and legislation. What sets Anfield Consulting apart is their impressive track record. They've consistently secured legislative approvals and vital funding for water, wastewater, flood control, and environmental restoration projects. Their dedication has positioned them as true leaders in the environmental advocacy sector, making them a driving force for positive change. When it comes to achieving your environmental goals, Anfield Consulting offers more than just advice. They provide unparalleled support. Their team's experience-based guidance ensures your objectives align seamlessly with the evolving landscape of environmental regulations. So, if you're looking for a dedicated partner to transform your environmental aspirations into tangible results, connect with them today by visiting AnfieldFlorida.com. Anfield Consulting, shaping the future of legislative, agency, and environmental advocacy. Other different localities in the state, even since then, they've kind of kiboshed the idea when it comes right down to it. Do you think it's a lack of education? Should there be folks out there that are working on this that maybe do a better job of educating? Because it seems like it makes sense, right? It does. And I've said it in numerous forms, even said it today, that we often get waylaid by media and folks that don't understand the effect of something, when in reality, I think their concerns were, well, what if you made a mistake and you put unclean water back on an aquifer? You know, it's there forever. Well, folks, there's probably unclean water in an aquifer now that goes through natural filtration processes. The methodology would not allow that to happen. It would be a methodology that was only replenishing our aquifer, which is being tapped to the extremes every day. And with the challenges of people moving to the state, 800 to 1,000 a day will continue to have those challenges. Our desire is to have an aquifer that's full, one that is uh, recharged in a lot of different ways, whether it's natural recharge or whether it's short-circuiting the process and us recharging it through potable water reinjection. I certainly share your frustration during my time at DEP. Reclaimed water was one of the things that I, I pushed hard, and particularly with your legislation, it was frustrating to see that the narrative became, this is dirty water being injected to the aquifer. And to your point previously, there's dirty water in the aquifer right now, and if you have the ability to treat on the front end and the back end, I think you're going to be okay. And yes, our aquifer is strained daily. Florida's a popular state. That's a good thing. But also our most precious resource needs to last. I applaud you in that effort. Still sad six years later that the bill ultimately was vetoed. There's still opportunities for that to move forward. And I actually had a meeting with Governor Scott the day before he vetoed it. And of course, he was in looking at at a different outcome, maybe politically, and so he was not, and, and, and to his credit and to the credit of the legislature, we don't get perfect bills, but we don't pass things that are less than as good as they can be, and maybe he didn't feel positive about that at the time, and so uh, we'll continue to work on that issue. It will be not necessarily a legacy uh, issue, but an issue that we recognize over the years moving forward that it's something that we have to do to have a sustainable, resilient aquifer. Well, that's a pretty good segue to my next question. So your class is entering their final year in the House, and Speaker Renner's discussed multiple times the desire to leave a mark legislatively that betters Florida for generations. And he puts you in a, a unique and new role this year. So can you talk a little bit about the Infrastructure Strategies Committee and its genesis and sort of what the goals are? Absolutely. You know, I think Speaker Renner, and I've known him now for many years and had the opportunity to speak at his designation and then his family personally. And I've often said that I know no one I've met has more credibility and respect than Speaker Renner. 
And so over the years, we've talked about the water issues. Uh, if you recall, I was involved in the legislation of uh, Senate Bill 712 with Senator Mayfield. Worked on that for two to three years. Hosted water forums in Putnam County, which we had 15 to 17 legislators. We had DEP. We had Orange and Shortell from uh, St. John's River Water Management District. And we had a host of, of constituents and other associations there. So he recognized early on that some of the things that I w- probably were best at we're dealing with technical aspects of, of water and energy. And so over two or three years, we've talked about what do we want to do, not so much to leave a legacy, but leave momentum going forward with opportunities. Um, a humble man, Speaker Renner is, and he's not concerned about his legacy. As far as I'm concerned, he left his legacy this year. Moving forward, we developed this idea of what do we do and how do we want Florida to be Florida in, in 20, 30, 40 years? How do we want Florida to be Florida for our kids as they grow up? I'm a sportsman, outdoorsman hunter, fisherman, like I said. And so I've introduced that to some of my closest friends in the legislature, he being one of those, and said, how do we maintain through the challenges of people moving to Florida, and how do we maintain this pristine area with wildlife corridors we heard introduced last year, year before last? How do we maintain an ag space that's productive as a second leading revenue provider for the state? How do we maintain water quality, water supply, quantity, There's so many things we're up against. So we developed this idea of looking forward and passing on to new legislators and incoming speakers, what is the goal for us if we don't maintain Florida's pristine areas, Florida's business environment, our agricultural environment? How do we move people out of Florida quicker when there's disasters? I mean, you guys have driven down the interstates lately. So those are difficult challenges. So I spent the first year really with the subcommittee chairs, trying to make sure we educate new members. So the problem with legislation is you're there for eight years and you're gone. And by the time you're really getting traction to get something done, you have to pass the torch to someone else. And they say, I've got a better idea. Right. We, we don't want there to be a better idea. We want this to be a process of discussion of how we improve continuous improvement, incremental steps, so that at the end of the day, whatever that is, let's say, 30 or 40 years from now, we can say we did these things as legacy moments in the Florida legislature to provide for Florida to remain Florida. You spoke about the legacy this year, not necessarily in the coming year, although I think Ryan wants to know about what's next. My Uh, clients do. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Looking at this past session, House Bill 1379 passed. That's a pretty wide, broad, deep, focused on water quality piece of legislation. Do you anticipate the legislature of the House continuing that focus going into 2024? I mean, it's pretty significant going into that, though. It is. What I would expect is that often we put policy in place like we did with the Clean Waterways Act in 2022. We're just now coming around to putting some of those components in effect. But you take these small bites. I always say, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You take these small bites, and then you make adjustments. Then you have to adjust. Speaking with Secretary Hamilton today, we know there's more to do. But we have to base those opportunities on science. We can't use opinion. We have to base them on science. So funding more studies, and nobody likes studies, but studies give us the roadmap of where we need to go and where we need to focus. For instance, if you're talking about nutrient loading, you know, how much of that comes from fertilizers, from residential fertilizer? How much of that comes from ag? How much of that comes from septic? I think we're getting studies and information now back from our tax, from our, some of the rules we put in place where we're seeing where nutrient loading comes from. So we need to attack the critical mass 
of problems instead of going after the small uh, contributors. That's where I see us going in the future. I think at the end of the day, it's just like attacking any other problem. You go after large chunks first, and then you get those resolved, and you go after the next contributor, the next contributor. I'll say all those integers that are in the equation of success, you have to take those on. What's the most important? What's the highest priority now? Well, Brett, I've got one more question for Chair Payne before we let him out of here. Is there anything that you want to accomplish in your last year, either in the environmental arena or even otherwise? It's been a really productive seven years. Well, certainly there's things that I believe policy-wise that we, we want to accomplish. But I'll go back to my original statement. I'm a team player. The most important thing to me is that we leave the incoming class of members with the opportunity to engage in the same level of success that we've engaged in and that we encourage them through every method they can to be the best legislators they can be. And that means engaging in conferences like this one, talking to people who know, people who have experience. That's the only way that we're going to build the partnerships throughout the state to be successful and to achieve the final goal of what we want to achieve. That's it. I think it's a pretty good place to stop. Uh, Bobby Payne, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you both. Have a good one.